asked a lot of times, do you ever get nervous when you speak? My answer is always the same. I never get nervous. Do, you, do I ever look nervous? I never get nervous. That's not confidence speaking. I never get nervous because that would be me depending on myself. I'm more nervous if I got the right message <laughs> because I spend time in prayer. I spend time in my word searching, God, what's the message you have for them? I don't want to come and bring you a message I spoke in my church or a message I spoke to my women because you're a whole bunch of different other women, right? So I, I'm here to let you know my women have never heard this message. <laughs> this message is totally for you. Billy Graham has often told the story of a visit he once made to Yosemite National Park. How many of you have ever been to Yosemite? We don't want to go there right now because we don't want to get the Hantavirus, right? <laughs> Everybody's dying from the Hantavirus. Have you guys he been hearing about that? The Hantavirus? Rice, uh, mice, rats, their urine running in the tents. You breathe it, you get sick. You haven't heard about it? So you're about to cancel your reservations now, right? So Billy Graham, he was visiting Yosemite National Park. And this was years ago that they used to do this. They don't do this anymore, but they used to do this. And the park would get all the visitors on one night together, and they would have them go to the bottom of the valley beneath Inspiration Point. And at the top of that mountain, at the top of that point, they would light a fire on the top of this mountain. And the U.S. Park Service would put this amazing demonstration on. They would yell out in a loud voice. And in the valley, when someone yells at the top of a mountain, you could hear it echo for miles. So they would yell all the way across the valley, let the fire fall. And they would throw off this huge burning object off this mountain, and it would roll all the way down to the valley and explode. But the visitors were, you know, far away. They wouldn't get burned. They don't do this anymore. Right? Maybe they had a bad experience. But when Billy Graham shared about this, he began to share when they would yell, let the fire fall. When they would yell, let the fire fall, it would echo through the valley. And as it echoed through the valley, it began to speak to him. And as I was reading this story that he was sharing, something started speaking to my life. How many times in prayer do I cry out, Lord, let the fire fall in my ministry. Lord, let the fire fall in my family. Lord, let the fire fall on my enemies. See, we want to say that because we want them to burn, right? But how many times do we say, Lord, let the fire fall where a change would take place? See, it was a great spectacle for all the visitors to see when this huge object would come rolling down. And what would happen is when this object was thrusted from the mountain as it was falling down, the flames, as they would shout, let the fire fall, they knew the faster this object was coming down, the flames would get longer. The fire would intensify. So in our prayer time, when we're on our knees and we're praying, God, let the fire fall on my finances. God, let, we want to get up in 10 minutes. Imagine if they threw that object off the cliff, right? And then they like threw a, a bungee cord right behind it and pulled it right back up halfway. 
everybody would be like, what? What happened? We wouldn't see the magnitude of when it actually came tumbling down. The penetration that was there, the power that came down when the fire fell. So in 10 minutes, we expect the fire to fall. And God says, would you stay down longer to watch the fire fall? How many times do we say, Lord, let the fire fall on spiritually important meetings or conversations I have? We try to confront someone who's maybe not doing ministry right, and we address them in our, in our um, own self. But instead, we should enter into that conversation knowing, man, I got to confront this person. Gosh. And some of us are like, oh, I don't have a problem confronting. I, I, send me, Sister Jella. I'll go confront anybody. I'll do it. You got to be really careful because that's how I used to be. And then I stopped and I thought, gosh, is that because I want to fix it? Or is that because I want to allow God to fix it? See, the person who comes, and I would do this sometimes to women in my church in my early years, and I would say, why are you late again? There I go confronting. You're always late. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Instead of, is there a reason why you come late? What can I help you with to get here on time? Well, Sister Todd, because you know they're coming in freaked out. Oh, my God, here she comes. I'm going to go the other way. Because you know what you're going to get when you hear it. And so you want to go the other way. But God is saying, let the fire fall on those conversations you have to have. How about let the fire fall on my marriage? Man, Lord, I see the man you want him to be. But are you willing to put the hours of prayer it takes to keep seeing him that way? Because the next day, he ain't that man, right? And the next day, he probably don't want to come to church, right? And here you are. Are we going to church? Are we going to church? Let the fire fall on his heart, Lord. How about water? <coughs> Chella got me sick. How about let the fire fall on my kids? How many of you here have unsaved children? That's like almost half the room. Raise your hands again. Now I want you to turn around and look at, lift your hands up high. Don't be, lift your hands up, girls. Look around. And these are women who have unsaved children. Now you've seen their faces. Now, will you go back in your prayer time and say, God, let the fire fall on Sister Beverly's unsaved children. Would you do that for her? See, there's a time that we, a, a time that will happen in our prayer lives where we can be very selfish. We want God to start the fire, but we don't want to do the work it takes to prepare the fire. Do we want the fire of heaven to come down? And do the life-giving, amazing things that only God can do? Do we really sincerely want that? Because if we really sincerely want that, guess what? Then we fight for fire. But when we don't want that, we get up in 10 minutes. We're done praying for the week because we just put an hour in. And then we don't come back to talk to God till next week. But we want God to change, right? 
the situation, but we're not willing to prepare the fire. See, he's wanting us to do our part, and that is for us to get the fire ready. We got to get the fire ready. Think about it. Before the match lit up the fireplace, you always have to do all the things needed to get the fire ready, right? Now, those of you that have um, gas fireplaces, I don't, I, do you all have fireplaces here? We have fireplaces in Sacramento. I know some houses here don't come with fireplaces, but we have fireplace where you have to put real wood in. You know, old school, right? <laughs> no gas. We have to put the fire, the wood in. We have to put kindling in. We got to even try to light it up with newspapers and papers, right? Stack it all up the right way so air can flow through it. And then light it up. Strike up the match. See, that's what it takes for a spiritual fire to start. We've got to be ready to prepare the fire so that it can burn. We have to do that. We want to pray, God, send the fire. And, and we think he's just going to throw the match down. But the match won't work if all the objects it takes to have a fire are not in place. So God will just be throwing down sticks. And they will do nothing but fall unless we have prepared for the fire. See, the kind of fire that we may need is probably the fire that our church needs right now. It's probably the fire that your ministry needs right now. You're wondering why that ministry that you're over is not taking off? Maybe you're missing some kindling. Maybe you're missing some logs. Maybe you're missing the newspaper, the paper you got to put. Or perhaps you have all the pieces there. But guess what? There's chaos with all the pieces. And there's no air flowing through it. And so you have to do what? You remember camping? <laughs> and you try to create the air that needs to go in there. And God never created us to do that. See, he's given us all the elements we need. We just got to learn to use them the right way. So if your life right now is in desperate need of fire, my solution, my suggestion to you tonight is you got to prepare for the fire. You got to go and get your stuff together. You know, I hate it on a winter day when we are out of starter logs. You know what a starter log is, right? Duraflame starter log. It's for the lazy people who don't want to go buy wood, chop it up, even have it already pre-chopped for you, right? It's the lazy people that go buy Duraflame logs, and we spend a lot of money on that. And you throw one log in, and it'll last for three hours. And all you got to do is just strike a match, right? But somebody else prepared that log to be lit. See, somebody else poured some chemical on it. It's chemicals, ladies. It's chemicals. You're breathing it. Poured the chemicals on it, wrapped the paper that would be needed to ignite with the fire, and put the wood already in that little paper bag for you. And all you have to do is open the vent so the air can circulate. And then you throw the match in. Boom. It lights up. But let me tell you, when you get a man-made fire going, it only lasts you a little bit. Three hours. But when you get a good fire going from scratch, boy, you can keep that fire going all night long. Because I like me a good fire. 
when we light up a good fire in my house, man, we bring our blankets down. This is what a, a good fire will make you want to do. We bring our big comforter down, me and the girls. We set it up. We throw our pillows down. We get so comfy and cozy. My, this is usually on a Saturday, too. My husband's upstairs, cooped up in his office, studying for Sunday. And we're all downstairs, me and the girls, from morning to nighttime on a super rainy, windy, cold winter day. And we're laying there cuddling, eating popcorn, drinking cocoa. A am I not taking you to that place right now? Watching reruns of all kinds of movies. We watch The Sandlot like eight times. <laughs> Going on and on and on and on and on. And doesn't that just feel great? And that fire never dies because all we have to do is throw another log in it. See, when the fire is made the right way from scratch, when it took you some time to make, you want to keep that fire going, right? Because it's going to be a waste of money and a waste of time to keep throwing in another Duraflame, another Duraflame. And you burn enough Duraflames, let me tell you what the, um, the uh, fireplace people will say. <laughs> They'll tell you that all that soot will build up on the inside of your fireplace, on your chimney. And guess what that will do? Eventually, one day, if you don't have it cleaned out, your house could catch on fire. See, man-made things we try to use to substitute in replace for what God is trying to create. We have to put the work in to get the fire started. Here's some steps to getting ready for the fire. First, you roll some newspapers in the shape of some logs. Then you put them into the fireplace. Then you throw those little sticks that can burn easily, something like kindling. Then you throw in the logs, but you got to stack them correctly so the air can blow through. Now it looks real pretty and real nice. Before you throw that match in there, you go, man, this is going to be a good fire, real good fire. But it's still not a fire. It just looks good. It looks like it's about to be a fire. And sometimes that's what we do in our prayer life, in our spiritual time. We get everything in place, and people will come by and go, man, you're doing a great job. Gosh, you look so great. Man, you're so holy. God, you're so, man, your marriage is so together. And you hear enough of that, then it'll cause you to walk away from what you just created. And God's like, go back. Go back. You didn't throw the match in yet. And we walk away with the match, and we get further and further away from what we just invested in. And all of a sudden, bam, chaos happens over here. We lose the match. We don't know where it went. And we run back to what we created. God, I want it to be like this again. God, I remember when this was in my life. God, I remember when all my kids were saved. Man, I remember when my husband loved you so much. God, oh, God, I remember when I had a great job, when I was tithing and giving to you, Lord. And we walked away from it. And the moment you walk away before throwing in and completing what God was trying to do in your life, how do we walk away? We walk away because we get overly confident sometimes. We walk away because maybe one person told you something wrong. I just, when people come and tell me something crazy, I just go, all right, blessings to you, my sister. And I'll walk away because I don't have time for that to mess my fire up. But a lot of times we let it mess our fire up. And we say, oh, 
We want to pick up the old us. I'm going to go deal with her like this. And God says, no, no, no. If you walk away and do what you used to do, you're going to mess up the fire. Ironically, the match by itself can't even make a fire. Sometimes we think, I got the matches. I got the matches, but they're useless all alone. And God's saying you need both. You need both in order to have a fire. See, we have to get to a point where we trust God to do what only he can do. The Lord, he is God. Elijah got things ready for a fire that only God could send. Trusting God to do what only he could do. Turn right now to 1 Kings 18. And we're going to begin reading in verse 32. And it says here, he built the stones into an altar in the Lord's name, and he dug a trench around the altar big enough to hold two seats of dry grain. He put the wood in order, butchered the bull, and placed the bull on the wood, filled four jars with water, and poured it on the sacrifice and on the wood. He commanded, do it a second time, he said. So they did it a second time. Do it a third time. And so they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar and even the trench filled with water. At the, at the time of the evening offering, the prophet Elijah drew near and prayed, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. I have done all these things you have instructed Answer me, Lord, answer me so that this people will know that you, Lord, are the real God and that you can change their hearts. Verse 38, then the Lord's fire fell. It consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. All the people saw this and fell on their faces. The Lord is the real God. The Lord is the real God, they exclaimed. You see, when you're willing to stick it out, and when God says, do it a third time, do it a second time, man, God, but I've been praying, pray again. Man, God, but I just spent two hours. Spend two more hours. Man, God, but I'm tired. Stay down. I didn't say get up. When we listen to God and we do it God's way, guess what happens? Fire begins to fall, and God begins to consume that situation that you're facing. God says, you know what's bothering you so bad? I'm about to consume it. I'm about to take that ugliness out of your heart. I'm about to take those bad thoughts you have about yourself out of your mind. I'm about to remove depression, anxiety, stress, worry. If you just stay down, I'm about to consume it completely. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times when God has told me, stay down. I didn't say get up. And I got the kids screaming, mom this, mom that. And I know the moment I walk out the door, I'm going to be with the belt in my hand. Okay, what? What? Who's screaming? Who's yelling? Who's picking on the three-year-old? None of us, mom. But I know if I just stay in the room, they'll work it out. Nobody's dead, right? They'll work it out. Keep the door closed, Thalia, and stay down. Stay down. And when I stay down, I get the breakthrough I need. 
See here, Elijah, he was praying down the fire. God had spoken to him and said, these are the steps I need you to do to prepare for the fire. These are the things you've got to get in order right now, Elijah. I'm sure Elijah was probably like, man, but God, these uh, prophets of Baal, they say they have the same powers you have. They say they can cast down fire and bring down fire too. But God says, Elijah, just trust me. Do as I instruct. See, a lot of times we start comparing, right? But that sister got it this way. But that's that sister. You're the sister he's needing to deal with. That worked for them. Let God do it for you. Their blueprint for their victory is not your blueprint. And we try to use someone else's blueprint for our situation, even though the situation may be the same. See, I could tell you right now, Sister Beverly's kids are going to get saved in a different way than another sister who raised her hand here with unsaved children. We don't care how they get saved, right? Just get them saved, Jesus. We don't care what church they go to. We have our preference. But, Lord, just get them saved and get them in a great church, right? We don't care if they never um, serve in a capacity of like a pastor or an evangelist. Man, if God keeps them saved as a doctor, as a lawyer, may they minister through their career. See, a lot of times we want God to do it in our way. We got our plan of how the fire should go. And God's like, not until you do it my way will I let the fire burn. So here Elijah goes before all the children of Israel and the 450 leaders, prophets of Baal. And it is just one of him. Imagine that. 450 people he's against that claim to be prophets, right? And he is a prophet. And the children of Israel are listening to those 450 prophets and not to Elijah. Boy, you better know you got to get your, your head together, your heart together, your walk together with God to stand against 450 people that are coming against you, right? But what did he do? He didn't say, my God this, my God that. He didn't do that. He listened to God and said, God, how do you want me to do it? And he did it God's way. And when he did it God's way, that whole gang of prophets from Baal, they all began to watch what was about to go down. And we know, we hear at the end of the story, that right there in that moment, it was a fire that God created that fell from heaven that consumed that sacrifice on the altar. God showed that he was the one true God. And what ended up happening? All of Israel came back to God. See, when you're down and when you're fighting for real fire from heaven, you got to know that that fire you're praying for is going to affect many. It's not just for your benefit. It's for the benefit of everyone. And a lot of times we think, man, Lord, just help me get out of this little problem I'm facing. I know no little big thing is too big for you, God. I just know you can help me. And God's like, can you see me bigger than that? Can you not ask for me for, for greater things than that? Why would you just ask me for $10 to get to church? Why would you not pray and believe that I will supply your needs at all times? There's been times when I've left my house on E, and I've said, I know I'm going to get to church. And when I get to church, somebody's like, oh, here's a sister, I just wanted to bless you with this. 
And it may be $5. But you know how my faith is like, man, I had zero. So praise God for the five. I don't sit there and go, man, just $5. That's just one tank. That's just one gallon of gas I'm going to get. That's it. One gallon with $5. But that's enough to get me home. And I'm not going to worry about what I'm going to do the next day because I know, man, God just showed me he provided $5. I don't know what's down the road tomorrow. Right? But we sit driving in our car as a church, driving to the women's discipleship. Man, it cost me $10 to pay there, and I got to pay another $5 to get home for gas for one gallon. And it becomes this negative thing. So there will be sisters tomorrow that you'll call, hey, why weren't you there? Well, I didn't have the $10. You didn't have the $10? Why didn't you ask me? I would have given you the $10. I would have paid for you. See, that's stepping out of your comfort zone. So here, God displays his glory by consuming. A fire from heaven came down and took that sacrifice up. And it caused a nation of people to turn back to God. In spite of every spiritual contortion that all the prophets of Baal tried to do, they still could not beat the one true God. 450 said, we're going to cast this spell. We're going to do this contortion. We're going to do this, this uh, little spell over here. And watch, we're going to have the fire create. None of that worked. And the people saw that. They seen it. How many of you here are willing to pay the price of staying and asking God for that fire to consume your situation so that others would benefit? See, the Bible says Elijah took the following steps. It says, it says in his word that he built an altar in the name of the Lord, not in Elijah's name. A lot of times we say, man, don't you know how long I've been praying for you? Well, who are you? Who am I? But he said, in the name of the Lord. Then he arranged the wood. Then he cut the bull into pieces. Now, I don't know about being a butcher, but I would imagine cutting a bull into pieces is pretty grotesque. There's blood everywhere. There's guts everywhere. There's just nastiness everywhere. But how many of us are willing to go through the dirty part? The dirty part. What's the dirty part, Sister Thaya? The dirty part is when people talk about you. The dirty part is when sister so-and-so just rolled her eyes at you. The dirty part is when people spread gossip and slander about you. Imagine Elijah. Oh, God, no. Can we call in a butcher to do that? I can't get that dirty. But God said, you have to do it. So guess what, sisters? You're going to get talked about. <laughs> You're going to have rumors spread about you. You're going to get gossiped about. People are going to look at you crazy. People are going to judge you, judge your kids, judge your husband. They're going to judge everything. And when you pull up in your new car that God blesses you with, because it's coming, it's coming, okay? A 2013 is coming your way. And you pull up here in the church parking lot, oh, yeah, there's going to be a ton of people that are going to criticize you. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm, wonder how she got that. Oh, and forget if the pastor's wife pulls up in a new car. 
Oh, that's where our ties are going, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we see that. Mm-hmm. Like that car, Sister Chella? Mm -hmm. I paid for it. Just want you to know that. <laughs> see, it all happens. Pastor's wife can't show up wearing a watch. Leader so-and-so can't show up wearing a $250 watch. I wonder how she got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't trust that sister when we collect finances because, you know, the other day I saw her wearing a diamond necklace. And she didn't have that diamond necklace last month. We need to put somebody else over collections. You think it's funny. Boy, I remember we used to pull up in a beat-up car. And I was grateful because it was new to me. And we'd pull up in a beat-up car and... Man, we would have people criticize us, judge us. Wow, Pastor, what a nice car you have there. And I'm thinking, thank you. Then I'd hear more talk. And I would go tell my husband, babe, do they know it's a 1998? It ain't even in the 2000s. Oh, so you got another van, huh? But they don't realize all the vans we've given away. I still drive a 1998 Toyota Sienna XLE. And I plan to drive it till it dies. <laughs> and if the Lord chooses to bless me with something better, well, praise the Lord. Because let me tell you what God just did for me. My mother called me out of the blue, okay? And she says to me, Mija, Dad and I, we want to bless you and the girls and Eddie with our car. So I said, are you calling the right daughter? Because <laughs> uh, you sure you got the right for Yes, Miha, we want to give it to you guys. So I said, oh, okay. Um, well, what do you want to do? Okay, Miha, we saw that we could sell the car for $15,000 Kelly Blue Book value. We want to give it to you guys for 2200 I said, wait a minute. You, why? What do you need? And my mom said, we just want to do this because we love our grandchildren so much and we want you to have a good car. We see that all your handles are breaking on your van, mija. And maybe she had pity on me. Pobrecita, you know. <laughs> we want to bless you with another car. So you know what car I got? I ended up getting a 2004 BMW SUV from my parents. I never ask them for anything. I never say, can I borrow money? I never say, pay for this or pay for that. Never. In all of our years of ministry, I have never called my parents to bail me out when my faith was low. Not once. I trusted God every single year. Every year. And God gave me this as my reward. Imagine that. Imagine how God is. So then God calls my brother, <laughs> and my brother gives me a call and says, Sister, I want to give you my Volvo 2006 seven-seater, and I will trade mom and dad's car for, that, for, your, for my Volvo. So I said, I can't give you no money. I don't got no more money. I, can't, I know your car is worth way more, and I can't pay for that. But I needed a seven-seater. You know, my van's falling apart, right? I'd still drive the 1998. 
So then he says, I don't care. I just want to trade with you. So here we were getting ready to make the trade, right? And my brother says, okay, wait a minute. He comes down and he says, wait, the mirrors are not working on the BMW. Fix all of this up and then we can make the trade. So then I thought, gosh, how am I going to pay for all that to get fixed, right? Because BMW is expensive, right, to fix. So my dad leans over to me and he says, mija, go take it to the shop, wherever you want. I'll pay for all the repairs, everything. It's in the shop right now, getting fixed. And he's paying for all the repairs. See how God is? When you choose to follow God at every word he speaks to you, God takes care of all of your heart's desires. Did I want a better, newer car? Yes. I would be lying if I told you I did it. Yes, I do. Do I want something really dependable? Yes, of course I do. Do I want to drive something that looks nice? I, my, my van was falling apart so bad, I would have to trade with Carmen, who drives a Jaguar. Okay? Now you're like, dang, Carmen drives a Jaguar? She drives a Jaguar. So I would have to trade with her if I had, like, a guest speaker coming in because I couldn't even let the guest speaker out because my handle wouldn't open. But it didn't cause me to run to the car dealership and get into debt. I was content with what I had and believed God for better. And look how God moved. See, God is asking us to be fearless firewalkers. What is it to be a fearless firewalker? A fearless firewalker are people like this. Abraham had to move his home from his home in order to, to found a new people in a new land. Noah had to build a boat before there was ever any need for a boat. Remember, it had never rained. Moses had to take the step of faith by choosing to go with a nation of slaves instead of staying with a nation of masters in order to see the miraculous exodus take place. See, we get things ready by the steps of fearless faith that we take. What are those fearless faith steps called? It's called obedience. God says, be obedient to me. If you would just obey everything I ask of you, watch what fire I will throw down from heaven. When we're obedient, God says, it is my pleasure to throw down fire on you. Man, I've seen this woman pray for her husband for 17 years. Man, i got to throw that fire down now. It would be convenient if he fixed your husband like that real quick, right? But that would be to your benefit. But God says, I got to let people see what I'm about to do. And that about to do takes 10 to 17 years. And in those 10 to 17 years, a radical man is in the making. And on that 17th year when he gets saved, oh, my goodness, people look and go, how in the world did you stay married to this man and serve God? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. You see, obedience, that causes you to be a fearless firewalker. Our approach is like this sometimes. Sometimes we say, do something, God. Do something, and then I'll get moving. But God's approach is, no, you need to start moving, and then I'm going to do something. Start moving, and I'll do something. I know some of you girls came up here tonight, and you were running and, and doing different things behind the pulpit. Maybe it was the first time you've ever done, and you probably were, and Sister Chelsea, okay, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. What? No. I don't, 
yes, I can. Gosh, no, I've never done that. But you stepped out. You stepped out. And when you step out, God says, be obedient and watch the fire that will fall. Watch the fire that will fall. See, godly fire creates teamwork at its finest. See, a lot of times we can't find teamwork and we can't find out how to do it because we don't know how to tie these two words together, work and team. We don't know how to put them together. We say we have teamwork. We say we're a team, but all we operate is as a task force. Doers. Task-oriented people. And God says, I don't need task-oriented people. I don't need doers. I need a team. I need a team that will work in teamwork. People that know how to put the word work and the word team together and produce something great. See, when you begin to prepare this type of fire, you begin to set all the pieces up and a tremendous burning will take place that will begin to affect your church. People will now see the entire children's department mobilized as a team. People will now see the worship team as a team. People will see your office staff as a team. Do you see what happens when you take work and team and you unite them? For their goal, and you don't make task and, and works and doing the priority, it takes a team to say, what's the problem here? Instead of, you better do it my way. See, we got enough people that like to be control freaks. We need people that are problem-orientated. People that step in and say, okay, there appears to be a problem here. So... Let's figure out how we can fix the problem. Not people that step in and say, you know what, you just better do it this way because that's how I said to do it. We don't need people like that. We need people with spontaneity. People that step in and say, you know what, this was the strategy we had today, but I want to know what's going on in your life today. You take an invested interest in someone else. You make it personal. We want people with empathy instead of neutrality. Neutrality is people who give in to everything everyone else asks. Oh, okay, we'll just do it your way. But people who step in with empathy, they say, you know what, why does this not work? How can we make it better? See, we need people that are going to step in, like I said earlier, and not accuse someone immediately why they're being late, but try to understand why they get here late all the time. Why does your children's church staff show up late all the time? Have you stepped into their world? Have you asked them why? Or do you automatically conclude they're just late all the time? Did you find out if maybe her kid has a sickness? Maybe her baby keeps having accidents before she gets to church? You don't know, but we judge immediately. How about a marriage teamwork? See, my husband and I, what we do now, instead of saying, you're always wrong in this area or you never do this instead of doing that because we would do that for 10 years in our marriage when we had issues with each other you 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 it's you so finally we got hip to what was going on in our marriage and finally we decided okay we have a problem here because we finally understood one thing and that one thing was the two became one so when I accuse him, it's your fault. 
you're the reason why. Well, if you wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't act like this. I now realize, gosh, every time I told him, you, 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 the two are one. I was actually doing me, 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 me. And I had to accept that. And so now when I have a problem or I don't like something he does or something he said offended me, I sit him down and I go, honey, and I rub his feet while I'm telling him. Or I rub his head because I'm wise. And I say, honey, you know, I think we have a problem here. I think we're failing to see eye to eye on something. I've now caused him to want to listen because I have not accused him and said, you, you, you. And then he in return says, okay, well, how are we going to fix this? Because it's a we problem, not a you problem. That's great teamwork. There's a Roman emperor and his wife. That would make her an empress. The Roman emperor's name was Justinian, and his wife was Theodora. Justinian was said to be the last Roman emperor of the Roman Empire at this time. Rome was divided. There was the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire. The Huns were controlling Attila the Hun. Have you guys heard of him? A fierce warrior was controlling the Eastern Empire, and all the Goths were controlling the Western Empire. The Eastern Empire was getting stronger. But then in comes Justinian, the last Roman emperor. He comes in and he says, we have to reunite Rome. Rome must be one empire again. I will not die until Rome is one empire again. And as he made that proclamation, guess what happened? Riots started breaking out. Look at the Middle East right now. And they're breaking out everywhere. Every country, there is a riot going on. So I want to conclude tonight with making it very relevant on why our fire needs to burn. The power this woman had is amazing. When the riots broke out, Justinian says to his wife, we must flee the country. We must leave Rome. Rome will fall. There's nothing we can do. I have to leave. He begins to gather up all his servants and have them pack up everything that's of value to them. He's making his way to leave, and guess what happens? His wife doesn't pack. His wife's not leaving. So she sits down with her husband and says, honey, we cannot leave. We must stay. I have figured out a plan of how we can bring peace to Rome again. Would you please listen, honey? But they're rioting and, and they're getting vicious and the barbarians are coming in. We're getting attacked from all sides. We can stop this. Let's just listen to me. And she gives him the plan. And, he, and she says, just try it. Just try it, Justine. Just try it. He tries it. The riots stop. And all of a sudden, peace comes over Rome. Rome unites back into one empire. It's no longer divided. The people are happy. And guess what begins to start happening at this time? The Byzantinian Empire takes place. For some of you that don't know what that is, that's when all of Rome's architecture, all of Rome's artwork, all of Rome's laws became even greater than it ever was. 
The Rome we know, like from textbooks, is all from the Byzantinian Empire. And Byzantinium became the capital of Rome. And much trade was going on. And for 70 more years, Justinian and his wife Theodora ruled as emperors. All because she knew how to talk to her husband. When he wanted to leave, she told him, this is what we got to do. She didn't flaunt herself. She didn't go here and go there and talk to all the politicians that needed talking to. She went straight to her husband and talked to him in the rightest way. And it's said of her that she played the greatest influence over his life. What a legacy to leave. She, before she was dead, caused many laws to be written in Rome that would benefit children and women Laws that were created for their benefit. Imagine the power a woman has over an empire. I pray that we would be like that empress, that we would watch our words. You never know. You could be talking to like the next CEO of a business here. And all of a sudden, we do this. So-and-so becomes the CEO of this car lot over here, right? And 10 years down the road, you find out, man, they were in my church at one time. Gosh, and we want to get a hookup. But there, you go to visit them, you're like, you didn't even give me the time of day in church. You didn't want to invite me over to dinner. You never wanted to give me a ride when I didn't have a car. Now I own a car lot, and now you want something from me. Your words play a powerful effect on people. So tonight, I close with this. Setting fire secures the effects of the future. See, just as that rioting group tore through Rome and set fires everywhere, it was a woman that stepped in and took control over her husband's thoughts, brought peace to an entire empire. An entire empire. Imagine that where they were able to continue ruling. See, we have to take the attitude, my life makes a difference. I got to stay in prayer, pressing in for fire. I have to be the type of Christian people want to be like. Did you know Gandhi, before, when, before he became known um, for his religion, did you know that he was actually being trained by Christians when he was a young boy? Did you know that he actually left India, traveled to Europe, and there in Europe, he went to different schools and taught and was taught by white Christians through the Word of God, through the Bible, through their teachings, was very educated, became a lawyer returns back to India, and while on the train, white train conductors began to beat him. Minutes before being beat, he had overheard their conversation of God and their belief in God. And when they saw Gandhi on the train in his suit, we see him today in these cloths, right, in pictures, but he was in a three-piece suit He's an educated man, 
speak very well, but all they saw was this colored man. That's all they saw. And so they told him, get up. You can't sit here. You're not allowed to be on this train. We don't want your kind on this train. And they began to beat him and kicked him off the train. And this is what Gandhi had to say about that. He said this about Christians. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That is powerful. At some point, we had Gandhi. We had him. And someone who claimed to be Christian ruined it. So when you choose to backslide, because for 10 years you've been praying for fire to come down on that situation. For five years you've been praying for fire to come down over that situation you're facing with that sister, with that family member, with whatever it is you're going through. And you wouldn't wait long enough. Someone like a Gandhi is going to come by and say, you almost caused me to get saved. But I don't want to serve the God you served. Because clearly he wasn't enough for you. You're out here with me now. Gandhi could have affected the world so much more greater. But because he chose, based on these Christians, when they conquered India, the British, they conquered India in the name of Jesus. It's said that even in Gandhi's office, after he died, they went to go to his office. And they found a picture of Jesus hanging on his wall. See, he loved Jesus. But he could not understand why people who said they loved Jesus did not act the way Jesus said to act. Fire callers. People who want fire over their situation. We have to change the way we act. We can't cuss. We can't keep drinking. We can't keep smoking. You, even though you may be able to handle it, guess what? Those around you, they probably can't. And you may think it's cool to keep nightclubbing and then come on the worship team until someone spots you from the nightclub because they entered into your church. And they said, oh, I can't be in this church, man. I saw her at the nightclub getting her groove on with like five guys. And now she's trying to get her groove on with Jesus. I can't serve a God like that, not in this church. Fire callers change. Fire callers change. So tonight as you stand, my altar call is this. I really believe in my heart that this message is for every single person here. Because every person here has an area that you've been asking God to burn fire on. And so what I want you to do at your tables, I want you to get hands in a circle there. And I'm believing God to do the supernatural for this church.
in order for this church to move forward, in order for you all to progress to greater levels, to greater growth, numerically and spiritually, it's going to take women like the Empress Theodora. It's going to take women that are going to be on their knees for not 10 minutes, not 15 minutes, not once a week, but for hours. It's going to take women that are going to fast, not when you do it corporately, but when you do it alone, when you do it with one another there at your table, when no one knows. It doesn't have to be on the church calendar. When God impresses on your heart fast, now fast, then you got to fast. That's your weapon of fire. That's the match. So tonight I'm going to pray. And as you're holding hands, I want you to just quickly look at your table. Look at the sisters that you're holding hands with. And I want you to, to visually see their face as we pray. And I want you to begin to realize this sister has an area that she is believing God to rain fire down on. And you don't got to know what she needs that fire for. You just got to know she needs fire. That sister may have the preparations all in place, but it's going to take a match. Or maybe that sister doesn't have it all together right now. But it doesn't matter where she's at. Right now, if you want this church to grow spiritually, grow numerically, it's going to take you, you women, to call on fire. Lord, I pray tonight, Jesus, for your fire to fall down, my God. I pray for every woman here, Jesus. You know right now, my God, that area that she's facing, that she's believing your fire to ignite, to consume, to burn up, my God. I pray right now, Jesus, for that area, Lord, to receive breakthrough, God. I pray, Lord, that as it receives the breakthrough that it is requiring, my God, transformation will take place in her life. Transformation will take place in her ministry and therefore flow over to the church, God. I believe right now, my God, the marriages, the parenting skills, my God, the teamwork that is needed here, my God, that individuals here will take work and team and put it in the right order, my God, and there will be harmony, God. I believe that you're consuming fire, my God, that you want to burn down on every single woman here, Lord would be passionately requested, God. Let a passion consume us, oh God, to desire the fire that changes us, Lord. I pray growth in this church, Lord. I pray numerical and spiritual growth, Lord. I pray every woman here would cry out, Lord, more than the average time she's been spending. But she would cry out greater and longer and fervently, Father, for your fire to consume that situation, God, because lives are depending on it. Lives will be changed. Oh, we thank you tonight. Now begin to sing this song and worship the Lord and pray for that fire to fall down. 